Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Reppin. I hope you all enjoyed episode number one. It's been really fun to have these conversations and bring on some really important guests. And I hope you're enjoying the show so far. And we have another great show today uh, to talk about a really important issue, which is climate change. And as you'll hear me talk about with our guests, it's an issue that I sometimes have trouble wrapping my head around. Most of us acknowledge that climate change is a real thing, but I personally have always found it hard to understand how to make a difference on a grander scale, given how enormous of a problem this is and how sort of insurmountable it seems in the current society where we live in, where there's a lot of people who don't even believe it's a thing. Uh, so how can we take that and actually solve it and convince more people that there is a really important role that each and every one of us can play uh, to addressing climate change, both here in our communities, in the state and across the world. And so my guest today is Senna Wazer, who is a 17-year-old climate activist. She's a student at UConn, and she is the co-director of the Sunrise Movement in Connecticut. We had a really interesting conversation about what led her to become such an influential advocate at a young age and talk a little bit about what we can all do and what, frankly, I can do as a politician to be better about this issue. So I hope you enjoy episode two. And here we go with Senna Wazer. Hi, everybody. My guest today is Senna Wazer. She is a student at the University of Connecticut, and she is originally from Mansfield, Connecticut. So I guess she's not going very far from uh, where she grew up to school. Uh, good to see you. Ha thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into the heavy stuff, um, tell me about your life growing up, Mansfield, uh, obviously known for being the home of UConn, but what is it known for from you? Um, well, for me, I mean, I've lived here my whole life, so I guess it's sort of, it's hard to like know it for something when I've lived here, you know, my whole life, but um, I did grow up on a farm. So that's something um, that is definitely associated for me <laughs> with Mansfield. Um, so my parents own a small farm and I, I grew up here um, and grew up learning, you know, a lot about farming and running your own business and all of that. Um, and then I got really involved in environmental work as well, not particularly related to farming. Um, at least at first, I didn't really make that connection too much, um, but I, I started getting really involved with that when I was young. And so um, I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing that kind of work. And now, yes, I go to UConn. So I actually walk to school. So it's very, very convenient <laughs> location. -wise. And what kind of farm is it? So we mostly do vegetables. Um, we're, we're small, we're only like five acres. Um, so it's mostly veggie, veggies. Um, we also have some fruits and we also have like six cows. So um, I wanna dive into climate because climate is, is a really important thing that I feel personally overwhelmed by. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is because there's a lot of public policy issues that I deal with as a legislator um, that there are somewhat easy solutions, right? Um, they're, in they're before your eyes. With one bill, we could change people not having access to insulin, for example, um, or we can make something that was once illegal, legal, and, and people being incarcerated for that. Right. But climate, addressing the climate crisis to me has always been overwhelming because it seems like something so bigger than all of us individually. Mm -hmm. So I guess I that's where I want to start with you is, how is it that you came about deciding that you, 
at a very young age um, could have an influential um, position on climate and try to get other people to feel that way too, because that seems like a really um, awesome thing that you did, but one that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess for me, it did start with personal action. Um, When I was around five, my parents read me a story about a whale and that was kind of my entrance into environmental work. And so for me, when I was working on whale and ocean issues, it was um, very much focused on personal action and what can I do in my own life. Um, But then as I got older and learned about climate change and also kind of came to realize how big of a problem this is, I was, you know, I I was like, wow, you know, personal action is totally not enough. And so that was when I I started really pushing for policy change. And I think um, it is definitely hard because it's such a big issue and it's intimidating. Um, But I think kind of knowing that I can engage other students and it's not just me, it's, you know, millions of young people um, across the world doing this work. That was really um, empowering. And, and in terms of like the policy solutions, right, that is, of course, very complicated because of how complicated of an issue it is. Um, but I also think that like it can be broken down and we can look at the different sectors and then hopefully tie it all back together. Um, and we're also not the first who are trying to figure this out. And so that really helps me knowing that we're part of a much bigger community. So let's start at the beginning, because the other thing about this uh, being overwhelming to think about is the fact that in our society today, people bring their own facts to the table. So we no longer like have one set of facts that each of us works off of. Everyone has their own facts. And this is nowhere more pronounced than with climate, as far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, because the question is, do you believe it's changing or not? And if you believe it's changing, what can we do about it? If you don't believe it's changing, you don't think we have to do anything about it. So how do you think we even, before we dive into what we can do, how do you even think we can get past this really concerning trend in America where we can't even agree on the fact of the problem? Yeah, I mean, that is such <laughs> that's such a big question and honestly not one that I spend that much time on because it's like I, I guess I'm more concerned about convincing the people who believe in the science to act on it than I am concerned about convincing people of the science. Um, With that said, I think that part of it is talking about the impacts that we are seeing and that it's easy to show people and that are affecting them directly. Um, And so, you know, here in the Northeast, we're seeing shifting like weather patterns and temperature patterns. And this is something that it's relatively easy. And I think most people could agree, hopefully on some baseline of you know, temperatures. And when we look at that, although temperature and climate change are not the same thing, we do see those trends. Um, If they're, you know, in the Midwest, we're seeing really intense flooding. Um, Obviously in California, we're seeing the wildfires. So we're starting to really see these impacts on a day-to-day basis in many, many people's lives. And I think that's part of convincing people. Um, I also think it's about going beyond just the facts. Uh, Some people are convinced by facts and some are not. And so also using personal stories and talking about people who have been directly impacted, I think is also powerful. Um, With that said, I mean, I think this it's, it's such a big kind of issue, the distrust of science. And so it is really hard to, you know, convince people who just totally don't agree with any of the facts. But for the people who don't really think about this or who maybe are like me and it's just too big for them to think about, what's the baby step way that you can do that, right? Because there is varying degrees of, 
uh, sort of like education and on climate, right? So right. there is there is one person who like composts and doesn't use plastic and drives a Tesla. And then there's other people who are maybe in the middle of that who are sort of like, hey, this seems like a problem, but I don't really know what to do. And then there's people who are like, this is not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. How do we engage more people? Because I think the majority of people are probably in that middle group who mm-hmm. sort of recognize the science is probably there but they just don't know where to start. Where would you say to that person to start their journey on being a more conscious member of the planet? I would say to start with doing research and like educating yourself before even necessarily taking those kind of, um, you know, easier everyday steps. There are a lot of really great books out there. There are podcasts, there are movies. And so, you know, you can choose how you educate yourself. I would also say don't educate yourself necessarily in a super depressing way because there's lots of stuff out there about climate change that will just get you very down and kind of make you feel hopeless. Um, There are also books and movies and all of that that will give you a slightly, you know, more hopeful view of this issue. And I would encourage you to, to try and seek those out. Um, so that's where I would definitely start going, you know, moving from there, I guess. Um, there are lots of steps that you can take in your everyday life. I, you know, would encourage you if, if those feel right to you, then I would encourage you to do that. But more than that, I would encourage people to get to know who their legislators are, to get to know who their town council members are, who their federal representatives are, and to write to those people about climate change, because I do think that we're really past the point of um, you know, just composting or, or, or just, you know, using a reusable bag. Mm-hmm. We need so much more at this point. And so I think it's really important for people to, you know, write to elected officials. And I want to get to that point because I think that that's really important, but I want to go back to books for a second. And you said a lot of them are, are scary. Um, somebody mm-hmm. had recommended to me that I read The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, uh, which I never read because I started to read a few pages of it on Amazon and it really scared the shit out of me because it was basically like the most alarmist language possible that this Mm. was happening. Um, You mentioned books. What books would you say that people, including myself, should read? Uh, You know, is that one of them that really should like scare you into this or, or no? I mean, if scaring you into it works for some people, you know, go for it. That doesn't work for me. Um, So no, I would not, I would, I haven't read that book. I would not, it sounds like suggest it. Um, A book that I would suggest is All We Can Save. Uh, It's by Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. And I cannot remember the other author's name, but um, it's a compilation of stories and essays and poems and all this different stuff um, about climate change. It's very educational but it's also inspiring and there's lots of hope in there. And, you know, it's a much more positive outlook um, on climate change. I do have to be honest, I don't spend that much time reading books about climate change just because I spend so much time working on it. When I read, I try and like read a book that's going to take me away for a little while and hopefully not having me focusing, you know, on that issue the whole time. Sure. But that's definitely a good book. So back to what we can do, right? You said we're sort of beyond just being more personally responsible, although I'm sure you think that that's important, but um, you are the co-director of the Sunrise Movement in Connecticut. And I I want you to tell the listeners, what is the Sunrise Movement? Yeah, so Sunrise Movement is a national youth-led organization working to stop climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. And so the really big push for Sunrise is a Green New Deal at the national level. Um, And we also have about, I think it's like over 400 hubs at this point across the nation, which are just smaller groups of, you know, locally based Sunrisers. Um, Here in Connecticut, we have nine hubs. So there's Sunrise New Haven, Sunrise Middletown, Sunrise Yukon. 
Um, and Sunrise Connecticut, which I co-direct, really works on statewide action. And so we do a lot of legislation work. We have planned uh, protests at the Capitol um, and kind of just just do stuff across the state, not you know in one particular community. Okay. So um, the Green New Deal is famous uh, for a lot of reasons, but probably mostly because it's AOC's big thing, right? And I remember uh, right after she got elected or she was sworn in, she did a protest at Nancy Pelosi's office, I think with the Sunrise with Sunrise, right? yes. <laughs> um, so going back to what we talked about earlier, which is that um, you know it's always harder to pass something than it is to stop something. Uh, and the Green New Deal for me is a classic example of that because people who don't want to advance progress in our society will always cherry pick certain things about a bill, whether it's the Green New Deal, whether it's healthcare, whether it's whatever. And those two or three little things become the thing that defines the whole thing, right? right? So whenever some friends of mine or family members of mine talk about the Green New Deal, they say, oh, well, these crazy people want to get rid of all air travel and they want to ban cows from farting and they want to do all these things like that. How is it that we can re-win that message war on something, whether it's the Green New Deal or any sort of change whatsoever, and not get bogged down in what I would refer to as sort of like the cultural, political clashes that surround these things like Joe Biden wants to ban hamburgers, right? Joe Biden doesn't (laughs) want to ban hamburgers, but that's what a lot of people in our society now think about something like this bill. So give me the perspective of, of you're the co-director. What, what does your group think about the ways that we can get past this stupidness? I guess you could say. At a national level, I have to say it's really hard because it's already been talked about so much like that. Um, so I do think part of it's just presenting the facts. Like nobody's trying to ban cows. Like I, I promise I live on a farm with cows. Like <laughs> nobody wants to do that. Um, or, or at least, you know, I definitely don't want to do it. And Sunrise is not trying to do that. But um, so I think part of it's presenting those facts, you know, redefining the narrative. Um, at a more local level, talking about Connecticut, in which, you know, is obviously where we're from and where I spend a lot of time, you know, working on legislation. I think it's right out of the gate talking about what the Green New Deal is, not what it's against. Um, Because I do think that's something that as a climate change activist, we spend a lot of time doing is saying we want to stop climate change. We want to stop fossil fuels. And that's all, you know, true. But it's also about what do we want to do? And so we're also fighting for something. We're fighting for a more just, a more equitable society that is sustainable um, and that, you know, will leave an inhabitable planet for future generations. And so I think defining that a little bit more um, could also be helpful in kind of giving people a more positive vision of what we're working for, not just what, what we're working against. Yeah. So obviously I'm a state legislator um, and uh, I'm not trying to uh, flood my inbox or my message, but um, <laughs> if, if you were uh, being asked, you said, call your state rep, call your state senator. Mm-hmm. What is the thing? We got three weeks to go in the legislative session. What is the thing that Sunrise is really pushing for this session that we could do at the state level to actually make things better when it comes to climate? Yeah, so we had two priority bills, which unfortunately uh, did not go very well. They, they got uh, killed pretty early on in the session, but um, it was a fossil fuel moratorium bill was one of them. It was SB um, 718 was the number. And that was something that I was really excited about because to me, stopping fossil fuels is like a really kind of clear cut, like obviously we need to do this if we want to move forward. 
Um, and then the other one was climate education, which is also something I'm really passionate about because I really care about young people and I really want to see them, you know, educated about this issue. Um, with that said, you know, those are not a possibility anymore. So moving forward, there are a lot of climate bills. Um, one that I'm excited about is, um, I think it's HB 644 or 6551. I can't remember exactly which number it is right now, but it's um, basically stopping the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection from putting um, lots and lots of polluting facilities and stopping the state from putting lots of polluting facilities in one community and causing it to be overburdened with air pollutants and hazards. Um, and so it's really an environmental justice bill because it's, you know, it's ensuring that low income communities, communities of color don't bear a disproportionate burden. Um, that's a bill that I'm really excited about. I really hope that people will, you know, support, uh, that legislators will support. Another exciting bill is SB 356, which is about um, energy of uh, energy efficiency and affordability and making sure that renters can, um, you know, get access to energy efficiency retrofits. So that's another thing I'm excited about. And then, uh, oh my gosh, there are so many, there's the transportation climate initiative. That one should definitely, I really hope that one will pass. Um, it's a great bill for transportation emissions. And the final one I'll mention is the governor's bill, which is SB 882. Um, and that's focused on the mitigation side of climate change. And that, um, as an activist, I have to say it's a little bit disappointing. There are some serious loopholes that I really would have liked to see addressed. Um, but, you know, at this point, I don't know that that will happen. So I do hope that it will get passed and that then in another year we can come back and hopefully address those loopholes um, to make sure that it's really doing what it's meant to do and taking action on climate change. Are you familiar with what the Overton window is? With what the, no, I don't think over to window. So it's a, it's a political theory that basically um, tracks what is politically acceptable in the mainstream mm -hmm. population at any given time. It's a really wonky political science term. <laughs> and um, I think about the Overton window a lot with climate change because I think that is moving considerably. Right. So I'm 34. Um, I'm one of the younger legislators. Um, and I feel like my generation um, you know, certainly ahead of my parents' generation on, on this, but your generation is like 10 times ahead of where I'm at. And the generation behind you is probably 20 times beyond where you're right. at in terms of just being understanding of this. Um, do you worry that we are going to run out of time until your generation is in power uh, or in positions of leadership more so than you are today, that we will be too late to solve this problem? Yeah, I definitely do worry about that because we are on a very tight timeline with climate change. So in 2018, which is when I started really focusing on this issue, um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is like all the leading scientists for the UN, put out this report saying that we had 12 years, now about nine, to really prevent the worst consequences of climate change and to stop these feedback loops, which just accelerate climate change further from happening. And so, yeah, um, timing is definitely something that stresses me out <laughs> a lot. And it is very concerning because, I, you know, I'm 17 right now. I can't even vote, never mind, you know, run for office. Um, and so that that is something that I find very concerning. And I guess that's why I spend a lot of time trying to push people who are older than me to do something on this issue and to act rapidly, um, because I don't I don't know that it's real for a lot of older folks the way it is for my generation and the way that we're not, you know, we're already starting to see the effects of climate change, but it's just going to get worse and we're going to have to deal with that. Um, and so I am concerned 
I also, you know, I try and stay hopeful and, and believe that we're going to push people and we're going to, you know, we're going to do it. Um, and yeah, and I, I definitely think, I think young people are ready. Like we're going to run for office when we can. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of energy out there to, to see these changes happen. Yeah. Is there somebody that, um, you look up to in politics right now that is doing good work on this, that you think people should pay attention to on this issue or pay more attention to? Well, I mean, at a national level, I would definitely say representative Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she's, you know, I, I look up to her a lot because she does stand up for what she believes in. Whether or not, you know, you agree with her politics, I think um, the way that she's gathered so many people and really kind of brought a movement along with her, that's very powerful to me. Um, and I, you know, I would say that about a bunch of other, you know, progressive members of Congress as well. Um, talking more locally in Connecticut, someone who I really look up to and I work with a lot is Representative Christine Palm. Um, and climate education has kind of been her big focus for the past few years. And so that's why I really know her. Um, but she is someone who really, you know, genuinely cares about this. And yes, she might be, you know, older uh, than me by <laughs> quite a bit, but, you know, she, she still really gets it and she believes in acting on these issues. And to me, that's really powerful. Um, and it makes me, you know, that seeing that seeing representatives like her makes me believe that we will actually get out of this issue. And so, I definitely yeah. look up to her a lot. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Senna, for your activism on this and for helping my listeners understand a little bit more about where they're coming from. Um, I am going to encourage people to check out that book that you mentioned. I am going to personally check it out. Um, but I think that this is the challenge of our time, right? Mm -hmm. um, this and economic justice, I think, are the two things that really are going to continue to be really problematic for us if we don't figure them out uh, very soon. And, um, you know, I just, one of the reasons I did this podcast is because I'm so annoyed when people say that Connecticut is boring and there's no leadership in Connecticut and we don't do big things. Um, and I think the fact that you're on here as a 17 year old co-leading a movement to try to address this issue um, gives me hope for the future. And I, and I hope that it gives anyone listening to this hope too. Um, just give us some parting words about uh, what you can do to make a difference in this, how they can support your mission, your work, and uh, and how they can contact people like me and let them know uh, why we're wrong or right about something and, and really get us to work on your behalf. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say, you know, as someone who's gotten involved with climate change, you know, if you're not yet involved, if you want to get more involved, I would encourage you to really think about what interests you, like, why are you getting involved? Um, and climate change intersects with so many parts of our life. You know, it does, it intersects with economic justice. It intersects with racial justice, with, you know, immigrant justice. It is very, a very, very intersectional movement. And so I'd encourage people to think about that as well and, and consider, you know, what parts of your life have maybe been affected or, or will be affected by climate change? Um, and how does that intersect with your identity? And I think that that is something interesting to think about as well. Um, so, you know, think about that. Uh, definitely contact your representatives and senators. I always encourage people, you know, you should know who you're represented by at the federal level, at the state level, and, and at the local level as well. Um, and let those people know what you think, because they are, you know, people like you are elected to, to work for the people. And so, it's important that we let um, elected officials know what we think. 
Sen, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, this has been really eye-opening for me. I hope it's been eye-opening for our listeners. And we're going to circle back with you and get more recommendations on how we can read more about this and more bills to do. And we hope to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. It was great to be here.